First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. Scams. We love scams, don't we? Scams are, are hitting us from all angles these days, aren't they? My phone lights up twice a day. My area code on my phone is still Missouri. So I get Missouri phone calls twice a day, every day. And my phone says, scam alert. I like that. I like that my phone says that. We get offers that are just unbelievable, sweet offers for things. I fell for it once. Dude, it was for some DeWalt tools. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. That's like a lamb led to the slaughter. Dude, a hundred bucks for this set of DeWalt tools? Yeah, I'm in. As I hit the button to purchase the thing, I thought, wait, 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 wait. Remember that old saying, it was too good to be true? Probably is. Adios, $100. Email scams. We get email scams. A couple weeks ago, a whole bunch of you got an email scam. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. <laughs> Wasn't you? It was somebody acting like you. I'm not going to ask how many of us here fell for that scam. Because some did. It was asking for gift cards. Gift cards. And I know some people who went out and bought gift cards because this is our pastor, our dearly beloved lead pastor who's making an appeal for gift cards. Who doesn't want to get gift cards for the pastor? (laughs) Abby does. (laughs) Scams. The thing about scams is there's a whole lot of truth, right? There's a whole lot of truth. It had Pastor Aaron Bacon's name, although somebody told me this morning at the bottom it was signed Baron. Baron, right? If you looked at the email address, it wasn't their proper email address. It was Gmail, an IBC thing, and then Gmail and so forth. It wasn't correct, My first or second year back here, 2015 or 16 somewhere, I got a quick note from Chuck Brown down in the office saying, hey, Tom, I got everything lined up, just wanted a final check on this. It was a text or an email he sent to me. It was a request from me, an email from me to Chuck Brown saying, please send $15,000 to Houston to this organization, a mission organization. And he was ready to send it. But I thought, I better just check with Tom, be sure it's all good. I go, Chuck, it's a scam. Chuck felt so bad. And this is how we all feel, isn't it? It's not so much about the money, although that is true, but it's that you got duped, right? You just feel like, what? That happened to me? That, come on. But we're all vulnerable. We're all vulnerable to scams. IBC family, that's what this passage is about today. It's about scams, especially in the church. 
and we call them false teachers. Those are scams. And we're called here, John is calling us to be on the alert so that we're not taken away by these scams. And so, if you're not a perfectionist, perfectionists, they look at every, time, every, every um, detail, every jot and tittle, and they look at everything, and they go, oh, this isn't right. Some of us who are not perfectionists look at the whole thing and go, yeah, this is great, I'm in. And we can be susceptible. But anybody can be susceptible to these scams. Just a reminder, the book of 1 John, as Pastor Aaron has been leading us through so far, uh, into the second chapter now, is twofold. To assure true believers that they have eternal life. I write these things that you will know. Because sometimes we ask, am I really saved? Well, if the rapture were to happen, would I be among those that are taken up? So he's writing to give assurance. Here are the signs that you are a true follower of Christ, that you are truly saved. The second, to search out those who have a false assurance that they may realize they're not true believers in Christ. These things are true of a, of a follower of Christ. And here they are, and you can line it up. And where are you? Where am I? And if it doesn't line up, I go, I really am not a follower of Christ, but I want to be. And so you have that opportunity to do so. We see time and again light versus dark, truth versus error, obedience versus disobedience, temporal things versus eternal things, and so forth. Now the pass- passage here and then beyond that we're going to be looking at here at First John shifts a little bit into conflicts of faith, truth versus falsehood. True doctrine versus false doctrine. That's what we're going to be looking at as we go. So we're going to read this. Uh, this passage, we're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. Would we please stand as we read the scriptures? Follow as long as I read. Children, it is the last hour... And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, or you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. 
I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. Teach us even now, despite me up here yakking. By your spirit, Lord, bring truth out here. Speak to our hearts. May our hearts be open to hear, to learn, to absorb the truths that you want from us, that we might be more conformed to the image even of Christ, even in this hour. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All for your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, there's much said about Antichrist. I want to just define that very quickly. It says, hey, you heard here in the last days the answer of Christ. Well, hey, you have seen we've had a lot of Antichrists that have come by. So what does this word Antichrist even mean? Anti means against or instead of, taking the place of. So anybody who comes along and proclaims to be Christ, that would be an Antichrist. Or anybody who speaks anything that is against Christ or that does not line up with who Christ is, that would be considered an Antichrist. And that's what we are talking about. Verse 22 really defines, though, for us what an Antichrist is. In verse 22, we read, Who is the liar but he who, has, who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son, proclaiming whether they're not truly God, not deity, not divine, either one, the Father or the Son, that is an Antichrist. That's what we are talking about. As John was writing this, in that day, there was a movement that was taking place in the world of Gnosticism. There was a specific brand of Gnosticism called Docetic Gnosticism. Okay, so what in the world is that? And it's big because this was the context. This was happening. This really, it was a a very heretical group that were preaching, in short, that Jesus is not divine in one way. But before we get to that, let me ask you a little quiz for you. Listen to these, these statements. True or false? The first one is that your grandmother is a widow, and she's a new widow, and her lawn is growing, and it needs to be mowed. But it's more important that you pray for her. It's more important that you pray for her. You pray instead of going and mowing her lawn. True or false? Don't answer I don't want any heretics speaking out today. Sharing the gospel is more important than taking a meal to a new mother and father just home from the hospital. They just came home. They don't have time to make a meal. But you know what? It's better just to pray for them. Lord, they're hungry. Please give them something to eat. Don't answer. Number three. No. Yeah, number three. Doing sacred work. Holy work, sacred work, such as preaching or being a missionary. I didn't make this up. I found this somewhere. (laughs) It's more important than secular work, such as accounting or being a lawyer. Sorry, Rob. I saw you, Rob. Or whatever it may be. I mean, what I'm doing right now is the holy work. This is sacred stuff, what I'm doing right now. And so for the sound crew, not nearly as important. 
that now's when he's going to mute me and turn off the lights. <laughs> this is what Docetic Gnosticism says, that all that, these, they would say these are true, that it's important to be spiritual over doing the physical thing. In fact, there's a heightened sense of spirituality. There's a gained knowledge, spiritually speaking, and all the material stuff is not important whatsoever. So how does this play out? God, being perfect and innocent, could not suffer. This is what they would believe. Therefore, Jesus only appeared to have a body that he was not incarnate, was not in the flesh, he was not fully man. That's what they believed. John, in his, in his um, gospel, said that the word became flesh. Okay, this is a big deal. This is the big deal to be taking out, taken out by this. Because how does that get, then get played out? The way it gets played out is all the spiritual things of prayer and whatever and, and, and um, distancing myself from physical stuff now I'm attaining spirituality. Well, okay, that is absolutely nonsense. It's complete nonsense. And so I can sit behind my closed doors and just pray and never attend to the physical things of life. Where we have God, God is in all that we are doing. All of this that you do in your lives, all of it is all a part of what God has ordained as we seek him. The Antichrist lies, denies that Jesus is the Messiah, denies that he is fully God and man, and by default denies God the Father then. Antichrist does not agree that the man Jesus came from God, again impugning his deity. Finally, Antichrist is a deceiver, of which there are many throughout the entire world, and they again deny that Jesus Christ was fully God, fully man. The spirit of the Antichrist includes all false teachers and enemies of the truth. That's what we mean by Antichrist. So anything, anyone, any idea, any thought, whatever it is that speaks something, a concept that is counter to who Christ is, to who God is, the Father, what his word is, is an antichrist. That's what we're talking about. That's what John is talking about in this passage when he talks about antichrists have come and taken people away. In verse 19, we read, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. It's a scary verse to read. That there are people among us, really the bottom line is they never truly trusted in Jesus. Their hearts are not regenerated. They have not been bought. They have not been redeemed or they haven't trusted in the redemption that Christ offers through his death and suffering and burial and resurrection. And they have left us and they go out. Many times they deceive from right within. One commentator said this, they're not truly saved. They say the right words, motions, looked and acted like a Christian, but never truly placed faith in Jesus, didn't truly believe in God. 
The Holy Spirit is not indwelling. There's no fruit, not truly pursuing God and his purposes. The plain sense is that there were and are today those in the body of Christ who look for all the world like authentic, genuine believers. They were not born of God's Spirit. They say the right things. They speak Christianese. They pray the right words. But their heart is unregenerate. Their spirits are dead in their trespasses and sin that we read in Ephesians 2. They've never been born again. It's one thing to be a pagan idol worshiper in the deep dark jungle, but to be a religious faker in the presence of the true light is one of the greatest of all tragedies. So there are many warnings in Scripture about false teachers, people among us even, so we're on guard. That's really then what we must do with this. But there are warnings all over the place. In Acts 20, we read, this is Paul. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This has happened in our own time. For those of you who are my age and older, you will remember the whole Jim Jones, Jonestown thing in Guyana, South America. I was a senior in high school. It was in November. And I was in Brazil, growing up in Brazil, senior in high school. Guyana is right next door. We can go to Guyana. It's right there. It touches Brazil. So it was really close. My brother-in-law actually was born in Guyana. And so this whole thing was like, whoa. Jim Jones was a dynamic guy. And really, he developed this cult. I don't know all that was included in that cult, but there must have been a lot of truth in it because the enemy uses pieces of truth. And it's sometimes a lot of truth in it. And people are swept up by his personality, by the pieces of truth that are in there, and they begin to listen and be taken in by this. Fred Way, who's over in Africa right now with CO10 on a second trip out there, knew Jim Jones. He was in high school. He was not in high school because Fred's older than I am. He couldn't have been in high school. But he was in California where Jim Jones had started in Indiana. He moved his group to California where Jim Jones was. Jim Jones, where Fred was, Jim Jones was a substitute teacher, in fact, also a pastor. And that's how Fred knew him as a substitute teacher. And he knew many people that were part of this thing. And Jim Jones moved. There was increasing uh, 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 scrutiny from the U.S. government on what was going on. And so Jim Jones moved his crew, this whole gang, down to Guyana. And in November, it was all caving in. This guy convinced people to drink this Kool-Aid that had poison in it. Many drank it, and others were at gunpoint. 909 people died. A third of them were children. It's, it's, just, ama- it's just unspeakable. But here's the thing, you all. I think of the scams that I've fallen for, that you almost fell for, or you did, or whatever it is. The last thing we should say is, that would never happen to me. I remember when I was teaching uh, seventh graders over here at Roosevelt years ago, history, we're doing geography, and we were studying World War II Germany and the Nazis. 
And I remember this one kid in my class, smart kid, sharp. He goes, that would never happen to me. I just want to say, don't ever say that. Never have the mindset that that will never happen to me. Instead, it is we learn from those things. Man, if it could happen to that person, it could happen to me. And when people are deceived, even in the church, because there are many false teachers out there on TV, on radio, podcasts, articles, whatever it may be, there are many false teachers out there. And the lesson is be on guard. Be on guard. Even here. I'm going to slip some. No, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. But here's the thing I know we all want to attend a church where I want to attend a church where I can relax. And I don't have to think. Just tell me. Tell me what I should know. Tell me what to think. That's a dangerous place to be. Now, yes, we need to have confidence. And we need to be in a place where we have confidence that the preaching of God's word is true and it's accurate. That's why I love that we have a board of elders that are watchdogs. Lots, you said this. I got hookers on my case all the time. Yeah, you said this, you heretic. <laughs> we watch out for one another. We need to be doing that. We are, we are clay vessels. We have confidence, though, as we trust God and we seek Him. Even in the preaching of God's Word, it is a frightful thing. It's a frightful thing. And so the dependence level is sky high. It's called desperate dependence. Lord, you do the teaching. You do the informing and so forth. But it's upon all of us just to watch out. Matthew 24, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Mark, same passage, but in Mark, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. So, and we know that the enemy is on the prowl, seeking who he can devour. He's on the prowl, checking it out, and he uses deception like crazy. He is the father of lies. That's where this all comes from. It's coming from him. Even Christian sayings, I'll call them Christian sayings, but we have a lot of you know, bumper sticker stuff or, or whatever it may be. One of my favorite ones is, God will never give you more than you can handle. Oh, I love that. That just comforts me so much. <laughs> it's a big fat lie. I'm sorry, but it's a big fat lie. For those of you who lost a dearly close loved one, the dark Grief and pain is more than you can handle. I, you go through all the circumstances of your life, and for many of us, there were times it was more than you could handle. Well, here's the problem with this saying. God will allow more than we can handle into our lives. Why? Obviously, so we will depend on him. He is the one who gets the glory. Remember when Paul said, I got this thorn in my side, whatever it was, God, please take it away. And the Lord says, no, Paul, I'm not taking it away. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Because it's all about him. 
If I cling to this saying, which is false, when I encounter a circumstance that is more than I can bear, what do I think of God now? Hey, wait, God, you said you wouldn't give me more than I could handle, but I can't handle this. I don't think I can trust God anymore. That's where that leads. That's why that is such a deceitful statement. Because if anybody is clinging to that, and probably many thousands have clung to that, if they're clinging to that statement, then they went into a situation, they lost a child. A good friend of mine from college, Wednesday, his son, 30s, he's been dealing with epilepsy, he collapsed and he died on their floor. This week, a good friend of mine, tell me that Dave is not dealing with something that is way over his head right now. The pain and the loss of losing his son. He's not going, I know Dave, and he trusts God completely. So I have great confidence in how Dave is doing in the grief and the pain he's dealing with. But he, if he believed this statement, he would go, God, you said you couldn't, wouldn't give me more than I can. I can't handle this. I don't think I can trust you. This is a problem. That's why it's a deceitful little statement and off. And we need to be on guard. When we have these little statements and are posted and all that, there are many wonderful statements that are true and accurate. But there are a lot that are just off. They sound good. Money is the root of all evil. Right? Yeah, you're all going, what, what's wrong with that? Some, some of you know exactly what's wrong with that. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money. That's what Scripture says. The love of money. That greed. That materialism. That's the root of all evil. It's not money itself. So we are on guard then. Scams. I, I tell you, I, uh, yesterday, Sue and I were down in Castle Rock. We had a little mini reunion with close college friends and we started talking about the scam thing. And one of my good friends, our good friends, his mother got scammed. She was online, and this message came up saying, you have a virus in your computer. You need to call us to get rid of it. And she fell for it. And one thing led to another, including, please go down to the bank and withdraw money. I mean, serious. She lost $50,000. True story. Dude. But here's the thing. We're not talking about money here in this passage. Whatever with 50 grand. What about our souls? People's souls, people are being deceived by the enemy in all kinds of deceitful ways that are all scams in order to take our souls out. And that will be lost forever. And so, not only for ourselves are we on guard, but for one another. For one another. If you see somebody who's buying a lie, you're, they're buying a statement, and you're looking at that and saying, you know, no, I don't think so. You better have a discussion about that in order to protect your friend. May we be alert. Because I know that the thing, many of you did not get this email from Pastor Aaron. I did not get that, but I sure heard about it. Phone calls flying around and all that. Many of us did not. However, what it did was raise the alert level for all of us. It's like, now I'm going to watch out. 
That's how we should be in our, in our walk with Christ, in our life in Christ, with one another, with ourselves, be on guard. But here's the thing. That's all I'm going to, I don't want to delve into the negative stuff and, and all of that. That's important to know, but this is what John is addressing. What is the truth of who we are as followers of Christ? There's all kinds of wonderful truths written in this passage that are just wonderful, that you can be assured. Because the enemy does not have the power to come and just sweep you away when you weren't watching. And now your soul is lost. No, it isn't. It's a deceitful thing that he does step by step. But there are truths about who you are as a follower of Christ. In verse 20, you've been anointed by the Holy One. You've been anointed by the Holy One. You have the Holy Spirit in you. That's what that means. This anointing thing that it's talking about is really talking about when you came to Christ, you received the Holy Spirit. And He indwells every believer. Verse 20, you have all knowledge. You possess the knowledge of the gospel. That's what that means. You have all knowledge. You know the gospel. You know the gospel. You have trusted in Jesus Christ for what he has done for you on the cross. That is protection against the enemy's schemes and scams. Verse 21, you know the truth. No lie is in the truth. What a beautiful thing. I harbor, I aim to just dwell in the truth, in the gospel. I'm going to hang out there because that is truth. The truth of God's word, I'm going to be in the truth. I'm going to hang out here. That's my protection. There is no lie in it. Verse 23, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Whoever confesses the Son. A confession of the Son is, I believe. I believe in what Jesus has done. I'm placing my faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. And he's paid for my sins. I am forgiven. That is confessing the Son. Verse 24, if the gospel abides in you, then you are abiding in the Son and the Father. Same thing. You're indwelt by the gospel. I have fully placed my faith in the gospel for what Jesus has done. You have the Father and you have the Son and you have the Spirit. Verse 27, his anointing, his anointing, that is the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer. When you place your faith in Jesus, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit teaches truth. Jesus said that in John 17. You will have the Holy Spirit. And he told the disciples, I'm going to send the comforter. He will give you what to say. He will guide you. We have the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That Jesus did not leave us on our own, abiding in Christ. Be on guard, though. Be on guard. Counterfeit money. I've always been told that banker tellers, is this true, Christian, that they handle the right, the the genuine thing. They, They handle genuine money bills. They know it so well that when a fake one comes, they can see, feel, sense the difference. It's kind of true. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to look that up, so I looked that up, and I, had, and I read different um, uh, instances where people gave testimony to, as a bank teller, the different things that they caught, and something was just off, and they knew the real thing so well, the feel of this bill was just different. They set it aside. 
and so forth. The lesson is clear, isn't it? Then we need to know the truth, the genuine article, God's word. We need to know him. That's where we need to spend our focus and our time is getting to know truth. The word abide, before I say, go into that, I want to say this. Our motivation is more than just being on guard, though. Our motivation is to know God, is to allow him by the Holy Spirit to transform our lives to be more like Christ. So it's not like I'm playing defense, I'm playing offense. I'm seeking and pursuing God in my life that he might indwell me more, that he might make me look more like Jesus as I grow in him, the sanctification process. That's what we've been called to in the first place. That's more important. But there's this other thing of a defensive posture as well. Abide is mentioned five times in this passage, at least in the ESV. Abide, it means to remain. It means to dwell, to hang out, to be there. In these places, in these things, abide in. And so here are some abides. Here are some abides. Abide in the gospel. Verse 24, what you heard from the beginning, that was the gospel. Abide in the gospel. You know the gospel. Awanas, you guys know the the gospel. You know 1 Corinthians 15. Three and four, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the gospel. I'm going to abide there. I'm going to place everything I am on that truth. That's what Jesus has done for me. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The power of salvation. There is power in the gospel. Abide in the gospel. Number two, abide in the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Depend upon the Holy Spirit. You have received the Holy Spirit at salvation. Walk in the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. All that means is it's making a a kind of a parallel. Alcohol controls. It's saying, no, 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 no. We want the Holy Spirit to be the one who controls. And there's a decision that we make. There's a choice that we make. Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. Control me. You give me the words to say. You give me the thoughts to think and the actions to take, and so forth. Be filled with the Spirit. Abide in the Spirit. Number three, abide in the Word. He said, you know the truth. The truth is God's Word. It is the Gospel. It is the Word. This, my brothers and sisters, is truth. Abide in the truth. Abide in God's Word. Hang out in the Word. Make it a practice in your life to be in the Word. John 17 says, sanctify them, Jesus says. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Then we know in Acts 17, the Bereans, where Paul had been over to Berea, and he says this about them. Now these Jews, the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, 
They received the word with all eagerness. This is Paul preaching. They received the word with all eagerness. This is Paul preaching, y'all, and it says, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Paul the apostle is preaching, and these people, these Christians in Berea, were going, now what did Paul say? Their scriptures were the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. They were studying Old Testament stuff as Paul is preaching. They're going, is what this guy's saying true? And they were in there digging in and going, yeah, it's true. This is the kind of Christians John is saying we need to be. We are abiding in the truth. Are we spending time daily in his word? In the discussion questions, I ask you to share this in your group. How are you doing in your quiet time? Share that with how you do this because we learn from one another. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I read the, the Bible in a year. I read whatever it is. Here's how I go. I pray. I read some scripture. Whatever it may be, would share that with one another. This is a practical way, all right, that we can encourage one another to abide in the truth. Number four, and lastly, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Walk with Christ. John 15, abide in me, this is Jesus, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Abiding in Christ. What this looks like is a daily, moment-by-moment walk with Christ. It's a relationship. It's talking to him. As we talk about, I don't know where, where you are in your relationship to God and, and in this whole journey of faith, but this, to me, is where it comes down to a very practical thing day in and day out. It's simply having a conversation with God as you do your day. In the morning, Lord... Thank you for this day. Help me to walk with you this day. Help me to hear your voice, your promptings this day. Lord, I want to spend some time in your word. Teach me from your word. I want to learn more about who you are. And then you go about your day. Lord, I'm going into a meeting. Help me, Lord, by your spirit. Spirit, control me to be your man, your woman, who can encourage others no matter what the circumstances are. And it is not about me, Lord. It is about what you want to accomplish. Yes, in me and through me. Help me. As you're driving on, Lord, the fall colors are incredible. Even for us colorblind people, they're amazing. I can imagine the reds and greens. It's just a beautiful thing. The mountains, I see those. That new snow up there. Oh, my word, the smell of the rain that we haven't seen in a long time. Lord, that's by your hand. Thank you. Lord, the power went out for some people. Lord, help them. Is there something I can do? These kind of conversations. Lord, that guy just cut me off and it ticks me off. (laughs) Ouch. And the thing is, we stumble, you all, don't we? we? We shift right into the old flesh. Shift that little lever right into the flesh, baby. You idiot! Yeah, that's what Jesus would have said. (laughs) 
This is the challenge for us as his creation, fallen human beings. We war against that. And John's just saying, be on guard, you guys. Walk with Jesus. Abide in Christ as you go about your life. And watch the pattern of your life. I really loved what Pastor Aaron said last week. It was just really, I love that, that piece about. There was a time in my life where I thought, man, the, the, more, the sign of a mature Christian is they don't stumble as much. Or as you put it, Pastor Aaron, I don't have to confess as much. <laughs> but as we deepen in our understanding of what God has done for us, all it does is drive us to our knees more and more and more. Because we realize what a sinner that we are. When we're in that place of understanding the depth of our depravity apart from Christ and what we are made of apart from Christ, redeeming and regenerating and now sanctifying us, we've got nothing. We are completely lost. And the marvel of who he is and what he has done for us When we're in that place, the deceiver can do all he wants, do all he wants, and it's not even close. It's not even close. So the idea of this passage is not to be freaked out by, I might be taken out. No, the power of this passage is, I'm going to pursue Christ like I've never pursued him before. Because I want to know him, I want to know his truth, I want to walk with him. I want him to change me and transform me into the person he wants me to become. I want to obey him. I want to please him. I want to bask in who he is. I want to bask in a life full of what he is doing because that's what you were built for. And by his power and by his spirit, he does this every day of your life. And it's truly living. Walk with Christ. Abide in Christ. The first and the last place in abiding in Christ is to remember what he has done in your salvation. It comes back to the gospel. Jesus died. He suffered and he died for your sins. He took your place. You were the one who should die for your sins. He paid the penalty for your sins. He was buried. For three days, he was in the tomb. And then he arose from the grave. And then he gave us victory over sin. He gave us victory over death by his resurrection. When we dwell right there and we abide right there, Not only are we safe from the enemy's attacks, but we are truly living a life unto him, and he is glorified in that.